Welcome to Crescent City Crime Goes South, dear listeners. I'm Tracy. And I'm Brian. And we are now officially a podcast that is a series of podcasts rolled into one podcast. Hooray! Hooray! (laughs) Uh, If you're listening to this right now, thank you so very much for joining us. Welcome to everybody, old and new. We are on all of the social medias. Those links will be in the show notes. And word of mouth is always so important, so make sure that you tell your friends. But also... Tell your enemies. Especially your enemies. Five-star ratings and reviews are appreciated. Make sure that you're subscribed to us. We're everywhere. We are even on YouTube. Uh, right now, though, I do have an update on a current crime. I have I have a current crime corner. You ready to hear this? Go! Oh, shoot! Okay. So back in the headlines this week is Brian Cohenberger. He is the one who was accused of murdering four University of Idaho students. He's been officially charged with four counts of murder. <clears throat> the trial is slated for October. It is expected to last six weeks. And during his arraignment, he didn't say a word. Um, In the state of Idaho, it's not the only state that has this law. If you, at your arraignment, don't say anything, the judge will enter a not guilty plea for you. So he is pleading not guilty. Oh, so he literally didn't say anything. Literally didn't say anything. He just muted. Yes. Uh. Which... You know, I, it, you know, you, they say you shouldn't judge a book by their cover, but when I look at pictures and videos of this guy, there's nothing behind his eyes. Nothing at all. No warmth, no love, nothing. Just cold, dead eyes. Yeah, cold, calculating, narcissistic, uh, psychopath. Yeah, very much so. Yes, that's... And that's, I mean, that's someone who, of course, has to get their due process. But that doesn't mean you have to have any sympathy for them. No, I do not have any sympathy for because them. Because this person's operating in a different world than most people. Right. They feel a sense of, of entitlement as, this, this kind of person feels a sense of entitlement as, as a predator. Yes. They feel like they're, they're just entitled to... In their eyes, that in their eyes, they're not murdering people. Mm. In their eyes, they're. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain. Well, you can try. Um, in their eyes, they're, they're engaging in a hobby. Oh well, okay. That yeah. that actually, given the history of a lot of serial killers, yeah. that makes sense. Uh, because for a lot of them, sadly, it was a hobby. The darkest hobby that you can have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The darkest hobby that you can have. Like, the analogy I came up with, BTK, bind, torture, kill. Dennis Radar. Yeah. Sometimes I just don't want to know their name. Right. Or or give them the recognition. Name recognition. You know. But of course, if you're talking about someone, then some you have to use their name, you know, here and there because so so people will know who you're talking about or what you're talking about. Uh, but imagine if uh, 
you love to do a turkey fry. Okay. For Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving okay. Right? And you're a person who just enjoys that. Or you love to do a crawfish boil. Sure. Okay, let's okay. say a person who has fun doing a crawfish boil. Like, in the mind of BTK. This is a crawfish boil? That, that's, he was, he was getting the same kind of enjoyment. Except, this was from victimizing a person. Right. Okay. okay. So, this kind of person sees other people as no different than a turkey or a chicken that they want to consume. You see, that, 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 that's, that's my analogy, and that's my understanding of how the mind of that type of, of, uh, that type of psychopath works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. That's what they're doing. You know, the average person you might run into in a supermarket or a park bench or the barbershop, and they say, I don't know how this person can do this. Well, you know, me being a criminal justice major and having some law enforcement experience, I do know how these people can do this. Right. And to figure out how these people can do this, you have to, you know, think like them. You see? Because they don't think like us. That's true. They do not think If they like did, us. then they gain their pleasure doing what normal people normal do. People do. Yeah. Yes, yes. You know, like, for example, like, like binge watching uh, Marvel's Agent Carter currently on Disney Plus used to be on Netflix. Right. Yeah. You, well, you know what I've been binge watching is. Um, I've been getting back in the Hell's Kitchen. The uh, they have this uh, season twenty. It's all like people who are under the age of twenty three, so they're like twenty one, twenty two, twenty three years old. And I got to tell you, I'm I'm pretty stunned by the fact that so many young people could know at at, at that age that they want to be in you know a chef for the rest of their life as a career. I think that that's amazing. It is. It is, and 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 there you you know there you have another analogy. This the these sadistic psychopaths, you know, neurotic uh, psychopaths. That's how they gain their pleasure by watching Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. I wish. I wish. By by you know mur- murdering people or torturing people and right. murdering them. Right and and of course, you know you have people who who create the the proverbial boogeyman, mm-hmm. who who are thinking now. Of course, everyone should be vigilant. Okay, of course, but these people are actually a very very small fraction yeah. of a percentage point of criminal offenders. But they get a lot of attention. You see, they get a lot of attention. They, Most criminal offenders, over over ninety nine percent of criminal offenders are actually nonviolent offenders. But it's that it's that fraction of a one percent that gets, of course, gets all the attention, deservedly so. You could say because their crimes are the most serious and affects people's lives more. Right. Yeah. You know, like. You know, your life is affected more if you're murdered than if you have to go to a uh, an auto glass place and pay two hundred dollars to replace, you know, one of the windows in your car because it was b- destroyed as the result of a crime, which I've had to do twice. Stories for another time. Uh, both times, I've reassured myself that 
okay, $200 at the glass place, and this is over with. Which, and make no bones about it, $200 if you have some type of connection to a crime as a victim, $200 is really not a lot of money to lose. That's true. You know. you, you Com- And you could lose your life, right? Not just some money. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, well, you yeah. could wind up in a hospital, which is astronomically more than $200, plus that's your health at risk. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But we're, we're kind of veering off topic, although <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think that the little conversation we just had was quite relevant. I think it is, too, because, you know, you really do... It, it actually will kind of tie into what we're going to be talking about today, but before we get to our main story, I have another corner. I have a YouTube corner, Brian. We have... So, uh, dear listeners, listen... If you ever want to leave us a comment, one of the best places to do it is on YouTube. And as of right now, you know, we don't have a lot of communication with our listeners. The Our YouTube channel does not get the amount of comments that the more popular ones get because we are still kind of new. But at this point in time, if you leave a comment that's relevant, that's interesting I will read it on this podcast and that is what I am about to do right now awesome awesome shoot okay Uh, so a nice lady named Marie Williams hi Marie hello Marie Uh, she left us a comment on our YouTube video about Nanette Crintel she says that a reliable source stated that the coroner found stomach contents that was consistent with a McDonald's breakfast in Nanette Crintel's stomach so that issue is likely cleared up she did go to mcdonald's which means that she was not killed the night before like how i had initially theorized okay so this means she was alive that morning and but you know it also does not completely rule out the husband uh marie thinks that the fact that the fire was set by a professional narrows down the list of suspects i agree with this uh, she said that you know Steve could still be involved in some way, and she's also questioning how reliable are the home security monitors. You know, in the episode we did bring up that those monitors were conveniently turned off, then did not really get the man uh, at the edge of, of her property that freaked the net out. Remember that? Yeah, that doesn't okay. suggest involvement by the husband, even if he wasn't the one to actually commit the murder. That's true. So, but, you know, the thing is, right, Steve has a pretty good alibi for that day. But the brother, you know, the only thing that proved his alibi was that he was on camera. And Marie was wondering, you know, could somebody have t- have tampered with the security cameras? And, I mean, absolutely. I'm not a tech expert I couldn't even begin to tell you how that's possible, but I'm sure it's possible. You know, everything has flaws, and there are some people out there who are very, they, they just, they understand this technology and are able to interfere with it. Yeah, so if the fire was set by a professional, then the alarms were tampered with by a professional, of course. 
everything was tampered with by a professional. I would say chances are good it, it, if the fireworks professional we said that, that the the security cameras were planned for as well. Yes. So, uh, you know, Marie, I, I am sorry that we, because, you know, I get the impression that you are as interested in this as we are. You care about this as much as we do. And I don't blame you. This is something, you know, th this Nanette Crintel's death was a tragedy and it's something that might never be solved. Cold cases, unsolved murders, they haunt a lot of the people in, you know, not just the family members who are waiting for answers. It, I mean, also the, the, the true crime community. You know, these are the things that we discuss on message boards with our friends, text messages, whatever, podcasts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, yeah. It, it, it is something that weighs on the mind of a lot of people. <clears throat> okay. So, Marie, thank you so much for commenting. We really do appreciate it. Yes, it's all, it's always great to get contributions to to our podcast feedback. Uh, we love hearing from our listeners. So, thank thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much. And <clears throat> now we are going to get into a story that is something else that has weighed upon the minds and hearts of many people for a long time, ever since this happened. Today we are going to be talking about Chris Benoit. Oh, well, of course, a wrestler, yeah. Yes, and you know more about wrestling in the 80s and 90s than I do. Um, I did put a lot of... of effort into researching this and I do hope that you know people who enjoy wrestling I hope that you are interested in hearing what I have to say about this now I say this the people who are wrestling fans who enjoy wrestling uh, or pro wrestling or rat wrestling how do you <laughs> want to say it um, you know all wrestling fans understand that even though this isn't Greco-Roman style wrestling, and this isn't this isn't really an athletic contest, but, you know, because it's it's a story, the storyline, it's scripted, it's rehearsed, but it's performed. But and yes. it's a it's performed in an amazing fashion, and most of all, like football players, they are sacrificing their bodies. Their bodies are gradually getting accelerated wear and damage to them. So, you know, their bodies are going to break down physically before anyone, just just about anyone else's. Uh, their bodies likely go through more punishment than Marine Corps infantrymen. And, and another point that will be brought up is that... In training, I mean. Wrestling doesn't have an off-season. It's not like football or basketball, soccer. Yeah, it's every okay. week. It's every week. And during the week, they were they were they're going over the script and they're rehearsing moves. They are, and there's yeah. also a, a, a large amount of athleticism. I mean, these people are athletes. Oh, there's there's no mistake, and and bodybuilders as well. Yes. And they put 
they sacked they, they they put themselves in they really take on a lot to make fans happy to provide you know in some cases you know working class people with you know a, a, that coping mechanism that that get away from reality uh, you know because I don't avidly watch wrestling these days but whenever I do I'm able to just totally uh, it, it, it's one of those entertainment meetings that allows you to really let your hair down and totally forget everything and you know come to think of it it does more it does it does that for me more than even watching a pro football game because it's low stakes for you as as a as a fan right it's right. not like you know you're on pins and needles because your nfl team might miss the playoffs that's true yes yes okay. you can just sit back relaxed and be entertained you know and, and and if you're lucky enough to have your team in the super bowl you're not watching the super bowl i mean when you are watching the super bowl your stomach's clenched Yes. Right? Oh, like yeah. you can't really enjoy the stomachs, game itself. Stomachs and knots, you know. Uh, you you enjoy it when your team scores or takes a lead, but then you're you're still you're still nervous until uh, the clock is at zero zero, you know. Uh, but on the subject of Super Bowls, uh, that time a few years ago when we went to WrestleMania at the Superdome in yes. New Orleans. Uh, we had a fantastic time. We did. It was nothing but entertainment. Uh, the the seats were much cheaper than <laughs> than uh, even a football game, let alone a Super Bowl. Right. Okay. It was it was like seventy bucks for our pair of seats where we where we were sitting. Okay. I mean you 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 can't even get the seats that we got there at, at a Saints game for that. And we have Saints season tickets. But, no, but you could easily yeah. spend $70 at the concession stand at a football game. Yeah, yeah, especially you bring a couple kids. Yeah, yes. forget it. This is <laughs> just right off 100 bucks before you walk in there, you know. But, like, um, you know, it's like, by, yeah, by comparison, you know, th there's disappointing Super Bowls. But there's never a disappointing WrestleMania. It is pure entertainment, and that's another difference between pro football and wrestling. And wrestling, <laughs> wrestling is, you know, the proverbial pro wrestling is is just engineered towards entertainment 100%. Right. You it know, is. there's neither side is plotting and strategy to win a game. They're working on putting on a darn good show. Exactly. Yes. So, <coughs> so Chris Benoit was a fan of wrestling since childhood. He, like many others, uh, particularly enjoyed watching matches from the from the United mm -hmm. Kingdom. His favorite wrestlers were Tom Dynamite, Kid Billington, and Bret Hart. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, also, if you're a wrestling fan, there's going to be more names that are simply familiar to you. Right. Then you're going to really know a lot about. Uh, Chris knew that he wanted to join the ranks of elite wrestling. You know, but what happens when a childhood dream winds up being the thing that destroys you? It's going to be one of the things that, that is, we're going to get into today. Because that is ultimately what wound up happening. But 
before all of that, you know, Chris dedicated himself to becoming a wrestler. Uh, he worked on his persona. He based his style off of Bret Hart's. And he even imitated his signature finishing move, which was called the sharpshooter. Do you do you know anything about this? Because I, I, I okay, be honest with you, I don't remember what the sharpshooter is. I just remember the okay. name. Yeah. Right. Well, it it was a it was the wrestling move that Bret Hart. I guess perhaps he invented it, and Chris Benoit imitated it. Bret Hart was a member of the Hart Wrestling family. Mm -hmm. They ran a wrestling school mm -hmm. out of their basement. Mm -hmm. And this was where Chris learned his wrestling skills. Mm -hmm. Many WWE fans will remember the death of Owen Hart in 1999. Uh, he was preparing to make a stunt entrance at a match. Mm -hmm. And due to equipment failure, he fell 78 feet to his death. Mm. The impact ruptured his aorta, so he died, I mean, within minutes of impact. Yeah, and, okay. I mean here we see the risks that are routinely taken by these by these pro wrestlers. Yes. To put on this show. You know, not only are they slowly sacrificing their health to but their bodies for you know, for the general public to enjoy this show, but yeah, they're risking their lives as well. Uh, Chris had an aggressive technical style and his skills were considered amongst the best. He really worked very hard to do what he had done. You know, he uh, his his signature move was known as the flying headbutt. Oh yes, okay, yeah that 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 looks that does look visually familiar. Yeah. Well, he would do this by putting his opponent onto the ground, mm -hmm. and he would climb on top of the ropes, and he would jump off and hit his opponent with his head. Right. Yeah, every time every time they put you in suspense is, you know, is is he going to come is the wrestler going to, you know, cuz this has been imitated. Sure has. You know, a lot, you know. Is the wrestler going to land on him or or is the the one on the mat line on the mat or is he going to get out the way in time, you know. So, you don't know which you know what's going to happen each time, you know. Right. And and it sounds cool, doesn't it? It, it it does, but you know, but it's also extremely dangerous. Yes, the the, okay. the saying that's gotta hurt applies. Okay, you know, because you know wrestlers don't don't take as much. Uh, they it, don't take as much. They don't take as much punishment as as what is visually depicted. Okay. You know, be, you know, you see with one foot at me stomping the mat to mask right. the fact that there wasn't, uh, you know, some that there wasn't actual contact, okay, or it was light contact, okay. Mm -hmm. But the slaps are real; they're just not as brutal, right, as they're being depicted. But they, but they, make, you know, they make them look good. That's that's the whole idea, you know. But using your head, but in this man, but there's, but there, there's impacts. Yeah. Yes. You you jump off those top ropes. Yeah. There there's an impact involved that you have to be able that even if you're doing it professionally and if you're doing it right uh, over a course of time, your body your body takes punishment. Your body wears prematurely as a result. 
And you and yes, you're risking injury and you're risking your life. And you know, injuries are routine as well. They are. And it's another it's another part it's another part of you know, some people don't call it a sport, but it kind of is. It kind of is. Yeah. But, you know, Chris Benoit was massively popular amongst the fans because he gave them a show. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And You don't get as far as he does without putting on a damn good show. And he was considered a contender as one of the all-time best. Yeah. Okay. He, he's one of those wrestlers who's a household name to even non-wrestling fans. In 1988, he married his first wife, Martina, and they had two children together. In 1997, Chris and Martina divorced. Shortly after that, Chris met his second wife, Nancy. Uh, their wrestling stories were blended together because, you know, Nancy was a wrestling manager and model. Uh, do you know what the, the name that she worked under was? Hold on a minute here. Uh, it's very simple. Princess? Woman. Oh, woman. Just woman. I was trying, there was there was this other... Lady another, wrestler? No, there's another name I was trying to think of, but, but obviously not, not, not the one. Okay. No. It was, it was just woman, which... Yeah. I, I love the simplicity of that. I really do. Uh, Nancy was going to get married to Chris's rival, Kevin Sullivan, who she was dating in real life. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this was happening until Chris Benoit's persona told Kevin Sullivan that he was having an affair with Nancy. Mm -hmm. So to make the story seem more real, Chris and Nancy would hold hands in public, share hotel rooms, flirt with mm -hmm. each other, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Now, this was art, but it wound up, uh, life wound up imitating art, rather, because Nancy did really leave Kevin for mm -hmm. Chris in real life as well. Okay. Okay. So this is how their story started. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in February of 2000, Nancy and Chris welcomed their son Daniel to the world. Mm -hmm. And eight months after that, Chris and Nancy got married. Now, three years after they got married, mm -hmm. Nancy filed for divorce. She said that Chris was cruel to her. Huh said that he hit her and smashed furniture in their house, and she also sought a restraining order. Okay. So, we don't really know what was going on at this point, but Nancy probably, or possibly felt unsafe. Mm-hmm. She was trying to leave the marriage, but she wound up reconciling with Chris. She did not follow through with the divorce proceedings, and then she dropped the restraining order. So again, we'll never really know what went on there, mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel right to me. Okay, that th this just seems weird. Yeah. Okay. Another part of Chris's life was his friendship with Eddie Guerrero. Their friendship started when Chris kicked him in the head and knocked him out. Which is a heck of a way to start a friendship. Yeah, yeah. There's a certain, there's a certain term that applies when you, you apply 
more force than you're supposed to while you're rehearsing or while you're putting on a show. Yeah. I forget the term. I think I think the term is leaning. I could be wrong. Okay. And it it's a great way to start animosity with someone. It is. Yeah, and it's. I think it's typically done if you've if you've got some type of problem with with the other wrestler, some 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 type of issue. Right. Um, Eddie died in two thousand five due to an enlarged heart that was linked to steroid usage. This prompted the WWE to tighten up their drug testing policies, and they attempted to encourage their employees to make better lifestyle choices. Eddie's death had a huge impact on Chris. Uh, This is one of his best friends, and people around Chris said that he just wasn't the same after that. Okay. And he shut himself away from his friends. He even considered quitting the WWE. I mean, I've been through this sort of deep grief before. Some people who are listening to this podcast have probably gone through that themselves. You've been there, Brian, as well. Yes. Okay, you know, it's... it's but the thing is, it's it's still isolating because the grief is unique to the person. Yes. Okay, so even though two people can lose the same person, it's going to feel lonely to, to both of those survivors, right? To the people that, that's left behind. So this is what Chris was going through at a certain point in his life. Yeah, you never... It, I, I've learned this through experience. Uh, you never get over the premature loss of a of a friend a family member right like in my case uh, two marines I served with I guess well three three actually um, that that stays with you mm-hmm. you, ne- you never go- get over that there's no <laughs> such a thing it's it's something it's the only thing you can do is accept two things accept it and simply live with it yes and i've lost friends and it's hard it's it's very hard um you, your world does change there's no way around it and your world changes because there's part of your world that is permanently gone Exactly. That has been that has been taken away from you, taken away from the person you cared about, and before it should have. Exactly. Uh, around this time, Chris considered opening his own wrestling school, and people around him noticed that he had gained a, a preoccupation with death. Um, which. Okay, you know, that could be part of the grieving process, right? That, that's po- entirely possible. Uh, Nancy got him to keep diaries. She thought that him writing writing out would be therapeutic. Yeah. Um, I mean, she wasn't wrong. A lot of people use writing therapy, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, but in the diary, he wrote letters to Eddie. In some mm-hmm. of those letters, he wrote, I'll see you soon. And 
he in other entries he wrote about how much he loved Nancy and Daniel and how he never wanted to be apart from them. So we're kind of getting into some scary territory. Yeah, here. fatalistic. Yeah. Tend tendencies. And which, which, which of course is is not the right way to handle this premature loss. And I mean, matter of factly, they don't have to be here to tell you that they did would not want you to handle it that way. They would not want you to be that way. Exactly. Uh, throughout all of this, Chris remained active in wrestling. He was showing up for every match. And he was performing for the fans. And again, it, it's worth repeating that his peers considered him amongst the best. He actually won 32 titles. But even though he had all of this going for him, he would never be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, in 2007, Chris was 40. He was living in Fayetteville, Georgia. Nancy was 43 and Daniel was 7 and they also lived in the house with him. Chris was making half a million dollars a year and the house was worth almost a million dollars at the time. On June 22nd of 2007, Chris met with his doctor, Dr. Phil Aston. Dr. Aston said that Chris was not acting strangely. And at some point later that day, Chris asphyxiated Nancy to death. Uh, he did this by putting a knee into her back and pulling a cord that was around her neck. Uh, the next day he sedated and killed Daniel. He placed Bibles near their bodies. Okay. Uh, some opinions that I've read about this said that the placing of the Bibles is some kind of psychosis. There's something going on there. Okay. And what this means is that there's more than just murdering his family going on here. Okay. Yeah, this is definitely not a typical murder. No, it's not. And this is definitely not the work of a sadistic psychopath either. Chris also went on to the internet and his search history included the story of Elijah. This is an Old Testament Bible story about a boy who was resurrected. At 3 p.m. on June 23rd, the same day that Chris killed Daniel, he sent a voicemail to Chavo Guerrero. Chavo was Eddie's nephew. And he and Chris had grown close in the aftermath of Eddie's death. And in that message, Chris told him that Nancy and Daniel had contracted serious food poisoning and that he would be late getting to the next match, which was in Texas. <clears throat> Chavo called him back and Chris answered. Chavo said that Chris sounded very tired and that he was talking slowly. Later that day, Chris called him back and apologized. And during that call, he told Chavo that his family was sick, but that he was okay. And he also told Chavo, uh, with great emphasis, I love you. Um, Chavo 
when he talks about this in interviews, he said that he felt like the phone call was weird and the way that Chris said, I love you, stood out. Okay. Like he like Chris was really trying to impress upon him the weight of, of, of this that I love you. Okay. So again, not a normal thing. Like you might think when you get a phone call like this, oh that's kinda weird. But in the aftermath when it's all said and done, you kind of realize that this was that person's final goodbye to you. Yeah, it, it's uh there's there's definitely mental illness involved. Because because of course that you know this isn't this isn't the way that people normally say goodbye. Exactly. Uh, typical. It's t you know typical of people who are men who are suffering from one form of mental illness or another to be kind of cryptic. Mm -hmm. Whereas only the most astute observers, people with people who have had more than a couple of college psychology classes, right? Uh, which I've I've had two psychology classes. Um, so people who've had more who've had more education in psychology than that are the kinds of people who would who would who would be able to figure out exactly what's going on. That's that that doesn't that's not most people. That's true. Most people have actually never had even one psychology class. But okay. yeah. <clears throat> uh, Chris called another friend, and he said that Nancy and Daniel were vomiting blood, and he did not turn out for the show in Texas that night. He left a voicemail with Chavo and said that he would be in Texas the next day. The WWE executives rebooked his flight for Sunday morning. The show that night was going to be in Houston, Texas, and it was a Vengeance of Champions show. And Chris was expected to win another title. The now, now, keep in mind, when a wrestler wins a title, that's the culmination of of their popularity, their... Uh, their ability to successfully perform during high-profile matches, okay? So they really earn this chance to get these, you know, to get these titles. You know, it's it's not because they literally won something, but they it's be, it's because they've earned it's because they've earned it. They persevered, right, and really worked hard to get to the front of this. Of this exhibition type of sport, exactly. So, you know, it's not quite accurate to say that they that they didn't do anything to you know to win these titles. Well, yes, they did. They worked hard, and they've already put wear and tear on their bodies and everything. You know, performed exceptionally well for the public. Right. Now that Saturday night, <clears throat> the WWE tried to get in touch with him to confirm his travel plans, but they could not reach him. After midnight on Sunday, June the 24th, Chris sent messages from both his and Nancy's phones to co-workers. The messages were sent after 3 a.m. In four of the messages, he just gave his home address. 
and in a fifth message he put dogs in in enclosed pool area garage side door open Chavo did receive these messages but it was you know 3 a.m. he ignored <clears throat> them because you know he, as far as he was concerned he was going to go pick up Chris from the airport in the morning okay so nobody had any clue what was going on Chris was not on the 8 a.m. flight uh, at this point he calls the WWE and he tells him that Daniel is in the hospital because of food poisoning and he says that he will arrive on a later flight. You know, all of this is out of character for Chris. You know, he was dedicated to this work. Uh, he consistently showed up. Yeah. Okay, and it is believed that after this phone call, this is when Chris killed himself. He did this in his basement workout room. During the weekend, he had been researching how to break a neck, which is such a chilling thing to think about that he's in his home that that's out of character for a wrestler yeah <clears throat> you know of all the things they have to figure out how to do that involve body mechanics right uh more like they have to understand how not to break their necks right okay you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of safety issues that wrestlers have to be intimately familiar with. You know, how not to break your neck. So, yeah, that, that's a huge red flag. It is. But it's a dark thing to imagine Chris being in that house with the bodies of his wife and child. And he's researching how to kill himself. I mean, just sit with that for a second. It's very dark. Yeah, some something seriously wrong. This this is this this is not normal behavior for any athlete. No, at, at all. And it it suggests it, yes, it does suggest uh, what we know in retrospect. It suggests it suggests brain damage. We'll we'll, we'll yeah. get there. We'll yeah. get there. He used his lat pull-down machine to hang himself. Uh, he put a towel around his neck. He attached it to the handle of the machine. And he pulled the handle down using a weight. He then let it go and his neck broke. Now being who he was, he probably had quite a stack of weights on, on that machine. You know, lateral pull-down, that's an exercise that's always... That has to be done with a machine. Right. But machine weights. And he probably had... His home gym was probably an industrial kind. And probably had quite a bit of weight on it. Given his, his physical capabilities, he would need to have lots of weight available. So, he obviously figured out he had enough weight to, to kill himself with that machine. Through self, through strangulation, self strangulation. Yeah. Yeah. And before he did this, he put a Bible near where his body would be, and he wrote in it, "I am preparing to leave this earth." When nobody heard from Chris, uh, the alarm was growing amongst the people that knew him. 
The WWE called the police that Monday, June the 25th, and they asked for a welfare check. Now, the police who went there just thought that they were going to do a welfare check. You know, knock on some doors, maybe talk to a person who lived in the house, just to make sure that everything was okay. Yeah, most of the time, uh, police do not discover people dead when doing a, a welfare check. Most of the time, that's not the case. The police talked to a neighbor. She told them that she regularly manages the dogs when the family was out of town. Uh, The neighbor said that she would take care of the dogs and put them in the house. She had had a key. Moments later, but she she comes right out of the house, screaming to the police that Daniel was dead. So she unfortunately saw Daniel's body. And that is a very traumatic thing. For people who knew, who who know the person, extremely to to find them, and there's no easy way to get this news, but this is the worst way, the very worst way to get this news, and it's why it's really best for professionals who do this for a living to find the dead relative or the friend, mm-hmm. because that way at least the relatives and the friends are spared. Uh, this this grim sight that cannot cannot be unseen and makes the makes the trauma of losing this person even worse because it 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 it, it not only not only do you have this this void this hole that will never be that filled. Will fi- filled again. But you had this image coupled with that. Mm. You know, yeah. If you find someone dead, it's best that you don't have any connection with this person. Mm. Which uh, emergency respond- responders, they don't have this emotional connection to the person they find. So it's best that EMS or the coroner's office, the fire department or the police department makes this discovery instead of you. Yes. Um, When police entered the house, they could smell the decomposition of the bodies. Nancy's body was found. Uh, She was bound with cables and she was covered with a towel. Her autopsy revealed that she had tranquilizers in her system. And because of the decomposition, it was impossible to, ter- to determine how much was in her system at the time of death. But it is thought that she put up a struggle against Chris. Mm, which, yeah, she didn't have much of a chance being that. Oh, Chris weighed like 220 pounds. He was, you know, I mean, just he was walking muscle. And of course, he had the element of surprise as well. That too. Um, Daniel was found in his bed. He was found face down. Uh, it is believed that he was tranquilized enough to where he was unconscious when Chris killed him. Um, there were wrestling action figures in his room. This makes it all the more sad. 
And uh, there was also a toy championship belt, which, you know, his that I mean, his dad was his hero. You know, this was somebody that he idolized, and it's you know, it makes it even more terrible. Chris's autopsy revealed that he also had tranquilizers in his system, and there was also test testosterone. Siponate? I'm sorry, I can't really pronounce it very. Is it Osiponate? It's an anabolic steroid. Testosterone. Sipionate. Thank you. So it is possible that Chris was being treated for a testicular deficiency. The autopsy also <laughs> found that his heart was enlarged due to steroid use. It was possible that he wasn't going to live much longer because his heart was three times the size that it should have been. Which, which it hap- that happens a lot with with athletes. Uh, I know someone who I was in the Marine Corps with, and now he's he's still with us. Now, after the Marine Corps, he became an avid runner. Mm. You know, entering several Crescent City Classic uh, races. And he he found he has an enlarged heart. Oh. And, uh, but the reason why he's not running now is because of his back. Ah. Uh, in the immediate aftermath of this, WWE canceled all of their scheduled matches. They aired a three-hour tribute to Chris Benoit. Vince McMahon released a heartfelt statement preceding the episode. Uh, wrestlers who knew him spoke about him, and they did this as themselves, not as their personas or their characters, but as themselves, which was more personal, of course. Well, you know, media in media interviews, quite you know, quite often pro wrestlers are going to speak as themselves, and that's what fans want. That is what they want. Yeah, but. It wasn't long after this, and I mean, maybe the next day or two, that the details came out. And in response, the WWE went into complete reverse. Nearly all mentions of Chris Benoit were removed from WWE records, their websites, and every bit of merchandise with his face or name on it was pulled immediately. They... uh, completely distance themselves from this whole thing. Now, Chris's family members were, I mean, just shocked. And how could you not be if something like this happened in your family? You know, they just couldn't believe this. His dad said that Chris was loving and gentle with his family. Chris's first wife, Martina, had nothing bad to say about him. She said that he was the most loving person she'd ever met. And in interviews, Chris said that his biggest weakness was family time. He said that that's the thing that he would always fight for. So, all of, you know, this just, it just doesn't line up with what he did. No, it doesn't. So, investigators tried to establish a motive, okay, mm-hmm. They, they found steroids in the house. Uh, these anabolic steroids have intense side effects. Paranoia, depression, uh, a- explosiveness, like an angry outburst kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
So they thought that maybe the long-term steroid use had caused him to, caused him to become unhinged. Mm-hmm. But the roid rage phenomena and the connection to steroids causing someone to become violent is unclear. There's no actual solid proof of this. Okay, you know, a lot of people take steroids, and only a small percentage of those people harm others. Okay. Um, the drugs were delivered to Chris from two online pharmacies, and they supplied plenty of athletes. 26 people who were, who were prescribing and distributing these drugs were arrested and sentenced. Okay, so this was an illegal online pharmacy bring that got busted up because of this. Uh, Dr. Aston was investigated and he wound up serving 10 years for illegally prescribing drugs. He would prescribe drugs without examining the patient, which shouldn't have to tell anybody how unethical that is, how wrong that because is. Because it's dangerous. It is dangerous. Yes, yes. yes we don't need to go down the list, but there's, there's been a few, there's been several celebrities Yes. Who have died because of an unscrupulous doctor. Michael Jackson. Yeah. One of them. Prince, too, I believe. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think yeah. Prince, yeah. Who violated... Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley. Probably. Who violated their their oaths. Right. Okay. Because they, their, 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 their first duty... When you're a doctor, your first duty is to do no harm. Right. You know? I you know I did pre nursing and a couple uh, uh, biology class a couple of and physiology classes but you know I don't need to I didn't need to do all that to know that right okay that the and the average person who sit on the jury doesn't need any of that information to determine that uh, examine giving no examination whatsoever but yet writing a prescription. Uh, is it's dangerous. Right. And I'm just going to say this too. For all that you have to go through to become a doctor, even to become a pharmacist, because I think pharmacy school is pretty... It, it, I think it's almost as long as medical school. Yeah, pharmacology right? is, is... You could say pharmacology is the very reason why it is extremely dangerous to prescribe something without an examination... At the very least, without, like, for, for example, uh, uh, doctors are general, are for, not generally, doctors are forbidden to prescribe anything without blood work. Right. Pretty much, okay? Because that, 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 that's, that's the base to start with, to figure out, okay, what, what, the, what they, what you can't be given, okay, and is going to be based upon your blood work. And the pharmacist has to interpret that data as well. Yes. Okay. Like, they don't just, you know, listen to the doctor who says, hey, give them however many milligrams of this. It doesn't work that way. Yes. The farm, the, the, the pharmacist must understand what they're giving you. Right. And this is why pharmacology school is such a big deal. It's why you, you it, it's a years-long degree. Yeah, th- th- this, this is why you shouldn't be your own pharmacologist, okay? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, d- just, just to give an example, yeah, this is why you shouldn't go to 
a feed store and buy something that's meant for a horse or a pig and and dose yourself with it and decide how much of it you're going to get dosed you know that that's you you're not you you don't have the knowledge to do that no, you know no. you didn't go to pharmacology, pharmacology school. school okay you didn't study pharmacology you didn't you're not even a general practitioner you know, you're not even a nurse right yeah you're not even EMT so you know don't <laughs> don't be your own uh, pharmacologist, you know. Yeah. So uh, another theory was that Daniel suffered from something called Fragile X Syndrome. This syndrome will cause certain physical and behavioral issues. Uh, during Daniel's autopsy, the pathologist thought that they might have found needle marks in Daniel's arm. Um, but this was disputed, okay? Uh, people speculated that Chris was giving Daniel human growth hormone because Daniel was a small child. I'm also pretty sure that that's dangerous. That you can't just give a seven-year-old human growth hormone without there being some sort of consequence. Okay, so he there's an indication he was doing this, not and it had nothing to do with any doctor. No, what, I believe it would be illegal to administer human growth hormone to someone that young. Anyway. Right, but it but the thing is, there were no traces of the hormone found in Daniel's system. So th this is another theory that's been debunked. Okay. Okay. Um, I, another theory is that Chris was having an affair, and he and Nancy had gotten into an argument over it. Mm-hmm. But none of these theories hold up. Okay, Daniel did not have fragile X at all. Mm-hmm. There were no traces of human growth hormones found in the system. And, you know, if, if you and your partner are having an argument, okay, and if you kill your partner during that argument, that's a, a heat of the moment type of thing. Yes. It's not premeditated, not, it's not deliberate, right. right? Crime of passion. Crime of passion. But there was some planning involved here. There was. So, you know, when you put all this together, the, the Bibles, the internet search about Elijah, the premeditation and the fact that he stayed in the house all weekend long after killing Nancy and Daniel and then killing himself. Uh, the note saying that I am preparing to leave this earth. Uh, to me, when somebody says I am preparing to leave this earth, it just sounds like a, like a cult who believes they're going to ascend, right? Yes, yes it does. Does um, It does... Remind you, remind one of that, yes. And people who commit suicide, they use a different language in their suicide notes. Okay, they don't say, I'm preparing to leave the earth. They say, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't go on like this. Think Things like that. Okay. Yeah, the, your, your typical, what goes on in the mind of someone prior to your typical suicide... And there are people who understand this so very intimately because they've been on the verge of suicide and were close to actually doing it, okay? It's because it's a state of mind you get into where you, you don't, where it's like most, let's say mo, mo, most men, for example, will 
will stop themselves from even thinking about it by thinking, well, what would my mother think? Okay, probably most people, what would my mother think? Okay, my mother would get very upset, or your sister, brother, uh, or what would your friends think? But when you're in this deep, dark hole, mm -hmm. when you're suicidal, the most dangerous part of it is when you arrive at the conclusion that you no longer care about what anyone thinks if you die. It, it, that 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 part of your mind has been has been shut has been shut down. Exactly. It's a very scary, deep and dark place. And and many people who have been there have simply haven't survived it. Because once you get to that place where you no longer care what anybody thinks if you die. And of course you don't care. What it typically takes to stop you once you're there is someone finding you and getting your attention. Right. Before you do it. And but you know, all of these things okay, is is it what it tells me. All right, and, and I just say this as somebody who has consumed an ungodly amount of true crime, okay? But when you hear enough of these stories, you, you recognize patterns, right? But, so all these things tell me that his mind was in a place that nobody can understand. And when you're talking about a family annihilator, it is very hard to understand what that person is thinking. However, family annihilators typically have a pattern of behavior that is seen again and again. You know, things like domination, bullying, abuse, punishment. There was nothing like that in Chris's history. Okay, so again, this is not a typical family annihilator. No, no, not at all. Definitely not a typical suicide the scenario i just described about about ending up in a deep dark place where you no longer care about anything or anyone let alone what they think this does not fit into that of course this is very 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 unusual and it's not it's not a, a ritualistic suicide either it's not a cult suicide no this 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 is this is a whole new category it is Chris's friends and family were just desperate for some kind of answer. And, I mean, I don't blame them. Um, Christopher Nowinski, Dr. Christopher Nowinski, actually, reached out to the Benoit family. He is a newer, newer scientist and author, and he founded the Concussion Legacy Foundation. This, studies the, this foundation studies the effects of concussions on the brain, they also help anyone who is suffering from the effects of a concussion, athletes, veterans, everyday people. Dr. Nowinski is a retired wrestler, and he also suffers from brain trauma due to concussions. Okay, So Dr. Nowinski noted that Chris Benoit would take repeated chair shots to the back of the head. And his exact words are, that's a stupid thing to do. 
His words, not mine. Yeah, granted, granted, the part of the chair that hits you is padded, but there's still impact. There's still impact. Yeah. There is protection involved, but there is some impact, so you are getting some trauma, some damage, every time you take one of these chairs on the head. And he tells Chris's father that he thinks that the damage to Chris's brain may have contributed to his actions. Uh, the condition known as chronic traumatic encephalopathy. I'm so terrible pronouncing some words, I know. Encephalopathy. Thank you. Uh, or CTE. Yeah, long. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had a medical terminology class yes, a while back. Yeah. So this is a brain condition that's linked to repeated head head injuries and blows to the head. Okay. Uh, it slowly gets worse over time, and it does lead to dementia. Before this condition was understood, uh, it was people would call it punch drunk syndrome. Yeah, punchy. Okay? Yeah, punchy. Characteristic of boxers. Exactly. Um, CTE can cause a lot of issues, uh, things like inappropriate behavior, violent outbursts, paranoia. Now, the only way to test for CTE is to autopsy the brain. Uh, brain injuries are not unique to wrestling. If you're, again, a fan of the NFL, then you probably know that some players have killed themselves in such a way that spared their brain so it could be tested. It's happened a f quite a few times. I do not remember the player's name, but there was a player who killed himself, I think it was in the locker room at Arrowhead Stadium. Remember that, Brian? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Um, Didn't he leave a note at requesting his brain he be... He did. Yeah. yeah, he did. So this is that tragedy that can come from these repeated blows to the head. Yeah, it, it's, it's something that we're not even beginning to understand yet. Uh, Chris's father agreed to have his son's brain tested. This test was done by Dr. Julian Bales. He's a founding member of, member of the Brain Injury Research Institute. He had previously tested the brain of athletes who have committed suicide. What they found in these athletes was a pattern of decline in the person's life. Personally, professionally, financially, and ultimately suicide. When what they found in the brain sample of Chris Benoit was tangles of dead brain cells, clumps, handfuls of dead brain cells. If you look at the brain scans of a healthy brain compared to one with CTE, you'll you'll see what I mean. Because like a healthy brain looks on on a scan looks blue, but an unhealthy brain has different colors: greens, yellows, reds. It's almost like, kind of weirdly, like looking at a weather map almost. Okay, so then those colors indicate dead brain cells. All right. Now, Chris was 40 years old. His brain, though, was what they would see in an 85-year-old Alzheimer's patient. So somebody over twice his age had a brain, I mean, he had a brain of somebody twice his age who was suffering from Alzheimer's. Yeah, so head trauma accelerated. Yeah. 
that accelerated the the wearing of his brain. All four lobes of the brain and the brain stem were damaged. Which so there's a particularly severe case of 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 CTE. Yes. And Chris did sink into that depression and he harmed others and he harmed himself so you know there's the pattern right yes okay uh chris had previously said that he had received more concussions than he could count that that doesn't surprise me given given his uh given his storied career yeah you know with with the commitment commitment that he had to wrestling you know there was a price and that price was on his body. It is amazing how much punishment the human body can actually take. Yes. Okay. Um, within the professional sports world, that punishment comes fast and furious in every season or every week, every practice, every game, every wrestling match, whatever it is. Yeah. Okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, but, you know, like, like I said earlier, unlike most pro sports, there is no off-season for wrestling. Okay, and the price of of this was catastrophic. Normally, the most common, in my to my knowledge, the most common problem that pro wrestlers, especially retired pro wrestlers, have mm -hmm. is addiction to painkillers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because because of the 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 wear the wear in their bodies having to live with pain. And I also want to point out that if you're on the road a lot, this is going to affect your health. You might not sleep as well as you do in your own bed at home. Uh, your eating schedule might be thrown off as well, right? Like, there's all yeah. kinds of, of stresses being out on the road like this. It doesn't help matters at all. No. You know, it's hard to definitively say what was in Chris's mind over that weekend. And we're also talking about the murders of innocent people. Yes. Okay, there is no forgiving what he did. You know, typically when people make the choice to take their own life, they just take their own life. They don't take others with them. That That is the majority, yes. In, in the United States, it's well over 30,000 suicides a year. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, every year we're in competition with Japan. Mm. A much smaller country than us. Japan has anywhere from 30, 30 to 35,000 suicides a year. And we're about the same. Mm. But we're a larger country than Japan. Uh, so, but just, just imagine if even 10% of those people decided to commit mass murder before killing themselves. Just how much worse. Uh... You know, the other situation would be the other situation where the the person suffering from from mental illness uh, decides, well, I'm going to take as many people with me as I can instead. Okay, that's not most people, fortunately, most because most people respect other people's lives. Yeah, but it, it is important to understand the underlying causes here too. This is why I'm, I wanted to talk about this today. You know, the brain is tricky, okay? 
it's it's a blob of like jelly in our bodies and it controls everything everything it controls our speech our movements um, and it's something we actually know very little about and it's something we actually know very little about um, but when it becomes damaged it can take away your impulse control okay and this is why true crime aficionados will know that there have been stories of serial killers who have had brain injuries and they think that it's linked to their actions later on in life okay and again it does not excuse it but you do, we i feel like we need to understand these underlying causes okay yes yes there's there's a lot of work to be done by doctors of research that needs to be done on the brain and other wrestlers that have died and have had their brains analyzed uh, had brains similar to Chris Benoit's okay the WWE has completely distanced themselves from this uh, they did not offer any support to any remaining family members and the silence speaks loudly on this one Yes. Okay. Yes. You know, I'm not coming for WWE or anything like that, but they do need to take better care of their employees. Yes, like 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 any other respected organization, there's there's things that they're obviously not proud of, and the fans aren't uh, aren't very happy about. I mean, you you have that with every professional sports organization where they they do something that's unethical, that fans aren't very wild about, and you know here we are right here. Uh, whereas you know things have improved with pro wrestling, but there's there there's a long way to go. There's a long way to go, and of course this doesn't just affect pro wrestling. You know, this affects football, yes. hockey, uh, any sport that's high impact, okay? You know, we, we all want to enjoy the, the, these athletes giving it their all and winning games or watching them win matches or whatever. But the, the, the cost of that is very high. The cost yes. that, that that's on those people, on those players or wrestlers, it's very high. And that's what's always going to give me pause whenever I watch sports. This is the, the, the sort of thing that I'm always reminded of is like, these guys and, and gals, they're beating themselves up for this. They're making tremendous sacrifices. They're making tremendous sacrifices. And that's just well that that's that's uh one of the reasons why you know it's one of the reasons why Dwayne Johnson the rock mm-hmm. uh when he realized when when he had the opportunity to start doing movies he decided to do movies yeah that that he he, he took the opportunity to take a relatively early exit yes. To, so that he could stop making those 
you know, stop damaging his body. Uh, you know, because there's a brand new op brand new opportunity. And you know, in initially when he was playing tight ends for, uh, you know, Florida, uh, for the That's Miami Hurricanes. Miami Hurricanes, yeah. yeah. You know, he was looking at the possibility of going pro. Right. You know, NFL, and still, you know, sacrificing his body for sports entertainment. And you know, interestingly enough, uh, you know, Coach Ogeron, you know, recently won championship with the LSU Tigers, was actually was one of the coaches. Oh, I didn't know that. Miami okay. Hurricanes at that time, and and it's funny he's occasionally by people in the know. He's occasionally asked about that, especially you know people who love LSU. Right. And. He says it was it was like one of the best pieces of advice. Dwayne Johnson says it's one of the best pieces of advice he ever got. Coach O told him quite matter of factly, if you don't if you don't if you don't really like this, or you don't think you don't think you're good enough, then you can always go. Uh, you can always pursue wrestling like your dad. Mm, okay. You see, and that that's very likely. It's interesting how. Take choosing wrestling, you know, leaving football and choosing wrestling uh, is the reason why we have that, uh, you know, someone like Dwayne Johnson in all these movies. That's very true. You know, because you, you have people who aren't wrestling fans who get to enjoy Dwayne Johnson performing. And, you know, he's had a career path similar to, to uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, both of them, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Conan the Barbarian. Where he could barely act, so they just had him, you know, do a lot of grunting and <laughs> and in the case of uh, Dwayne Johnson, he, he he said hardly anything in as he, when he appeared as the Scorpion King in uh, one of the Mummy movies, right? And I, then, well, wasn't that ju just a Scorpion King? No, no, the Scorpion King appeared in one of the Mummy movies. Oh, okay. In like a, a back, part of a backstory. And he, they knew they weren't dealing with an actor, so they just had him. Stand there? They just say it, you know, physically perform and. Which he could do. Yeah, right, right. Do fighting movements and grunts, okay. And they decided to take the next step with him. With, they gave the Scorpion King a movie. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They, they, and yeah, then they King, he yeah. he successfully developed his acting talents and, and just got better and better at it. Just you know, just like Arnold Schwarzenegger did. You see, that's quite true. So you know, Dwayne Johnson, example of a wrestler who has managed to avoid some of those issues. Yes. By yeah. you know by by effectively you know getting out of it. Uh, to take a bet to take a better opportunity yes. at at that point uh, but you know wrestlers also are prone to not only abusing painkillers but the other drugs there's the mysterious death of of uh Kevin von Eric oh yeah for 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 example was was a tremendous shock I was in middle school when I was watching mid-south wrestling avidly and you know I was bro as broken hearted as any other pro wrestling fan at the time. Of course, this is this is long before WWE 
uh, existed. Do you remember um, what, what WWE was WWF and they changed it to, to WWE because of the World Wildlife Foundation? Yeah, but that uh, <laughs> rather bizarre lawsuit. I don't even want to get into that topic. That it, it just it kind of made me sick. Um, it seemed to be pretty bizarre to me. I, I, I can't fathom what uh, WWF had to do with wildlife conservation but it's it's one of those bizarre civil torts yeah okay so (laughs) so you know given what they have to deal with yes some of them will like anyone else who has a really really tough job you know prone to prone to abusing alcohol and drugs yeah many the dangers are actually many for the pro wrestler or pro athletes in general. Pro athletes in general. I mean, yes. I, I know that this was really primarily about wrestling, but I really do mean all athletes go through sacrifices. Yes, and I really feel sorry for the amateur wrestlers who perform at small events and make next to no money and are you know, sacrificing their bodies for not a lot of money for very little, very little, very little compensation, either for fun as an outlet or hobby, okay, or hoping, hoping to eventually make it into WWE, right? Which, just like any other amateur athlete or college athlete. That matter, most aren't going to make it, of course, because there's only so many spots available right. in the pros, right, of any sport. <coughs> so we're going to wrap it up here. Um, I want to thank everyone who has listened to this podcast. Uh, next month is June, and Brian, what is June? What is June? June is Pride Month. June is Pride Month. So we are going to revisit the origins of Pride, which did not take place in Louisiana at all. It took place in New York City. But, dear listeners, there is a connection to Louisiana. And we're going to get into all of that next week when we cover the Stonewall Riots. So please, join us then. And until then, be safe, be kind. Remember that we're all human beings and don't park next to vans. If it's dark, it's dangerous, and you don't feel safe, don't go there in the first place. And yes, this could mean you pull up to the convenience store and you see it's crowded and you see a line of impatient people. Uh, You might want to relax and wait in your car for the place to clear out uh, before you enter the convenience store. I did that same thing yesterday. Yes, it, I took an extra 10 minutes to do an errand, but my safety was worth it. And, and also, of course, if you are speaking to law enforcement in a professional capacity and not the victim or the witness to a crime, lawyer up. <laughs> <laughs>